Hey, Derek, guess what? Hit me with it. We just got a promotion with Audible. Audible, fantastic. I love Audible. Do you know what the cool thing about this deal is? What's that? If our listeners go to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod, they get a free trial with Audible. And do you know what they get with that? What do they get with that? Tell me. They, they get one free audiobook of their choice, and they get two free Audible originals, which is special content that Audible makes available free for all its uh, subscribers. Are you kidding me? That deal is so good, I may go myself and sign up. Do you think you, they let you keep the books after you're done? No, you're not, you're not going to tell me they let you keep the books after you're done. Yes. In fact, you can go sign up for a trial and you can cancel before the trial ends and you get to keep the books you've already downloaded. Well, I don't see how you can beat that with a stick. I, exactly, yeah. And you can lots of great books, especially for fans of this show. You can listen to uh, Super Gods by Grant Morrison, which is all about like how the superhero uh, comics have changed and evolved over time. Or you can check out Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. Which is a terrific book. I have that both in hardcover and I listen to that on Audible myself in my car while traveling back and forth. And there's also another similar book that's called Slugfest, which is about like the, the wars between Marvel and DC Comics. Oh, okay. So that's another one you got to check out too. So yeah, head on over to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod and start your free trial right now. You get one free audiobook and two free Audible originals and you can keep them even if you cancel before it's over. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm half of your host, Perry Constantine. And as always, I am the other half, Derek Ferguson. How are you doing today, Derek? I am doing quite well, thank you, Patricia. And I went out today to uh, get a few things, uh, because at the time you guys listen to it, it'll be passed, but we are recording this on Thanksgiving Eve. Right. So, so my wife, Patricia, and I, we went out today because... She doesn't do a whole lot of cooking because it's just the two of us. And of mm-hmm. course, now, especially with the pandemic, we're not having any people over because sometimes we, you know, we may have some people over. Well, we just have extra food in case somebody stops by. Right. But since it, that isn't the case. She's not going to do a whole lot of cooking. So we went out to get some stuff today. And, um, you know, that's it. Okay. That's all we did. But we're doing okay. Thank you for asking. 
no problem. Yeah, we're not, uh, we're not like we were talking before, you know, here in Japan, Thanksgiving isn't really a thing. And so we're not really doing anything special. Plus, we're moving in, um, in a few days. In fact, Monday, when this episode comes out, that's our moving day. So, um, so we're really looking forward to that. And we got like boxes everywhere, packing up everything up. But I'm going to like having, um, having an office to myself again. <laughs> <laughs> which you've been looking forward to for quite a while oh yeah oh yeah that was one thing when we started looking at places i'm like look i gotta have a room i don't care if it's it can be like a it can be a a walk-in closet for all i care but i just need like my own office space matter of fact funny that you should mention it that one of my neighbors his wife uh well his ex-wife she was a college professor mm -hmm. and uh actually that's what they did they converted <clears throat> one of their closets into an office for her. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, it was a fairly big closet, you know, and that's what they did. They converted it into an office. Because when they knocked out the back wall, they found out that there was some more room back there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they was able to extend it out. So, yeah, it can be done. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, there was one place we were looking at, and it had this really wide open floor plan. Like, they had, like, the they had a master bedroom, but it was like, you know, two bedrooms put together and there was like no dividing wall in there. And, um, and there was this one, they had this massive walk-in closet. I'm like, I could actually, you could actually make that into an office. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it was a, it was an unusual place. You don't really see places like that in Japan. They even had like an oven in the kitchen, which like we were talking about before we started recording, that's very rare in Japanese homes. Like ovens aren't really a thing here. Right. Yeah. You were telling me they're not really a thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, so um, got some news that uh, come out this week. Um, first off, uh, looks like there's going to be uh, possibly a Wonder Girl TV show joining uh, oh, the CW. You know, okay, I'm glad you brought that up because there seems to be some consternation with people that think that really that uh, the CW has got, it, you know, like they're cutting back on their series because uh black lightning they said that the upcoming series is going to be the last one yeah that's also my news this week is that uh so we'll combine these together yeah uh black lightning is ending with season four and um yeah and also you know supergirl's ending as well so um a lot of people think that you know oh well, they're going to be closed but i mean greg berlanti has been has not been shy about talking about this. He's been saying for, you know, and WB or not WB, the CW has been saying that, you know, we can't, we'll do this. We're like every few years, we'll, we'll alternate in different characters, do different shows, try different things. So it makes total sense that they're doing this. Yeah. And you know what? Not every TV show has to be supernatural and last for, you know, like 20 years. You know? Right. Yeah. You know, not every show has to be like that. And, uh, I kind of like I kind of like the idea that they're going to like every five to seven years they're going to rotate these shows out mm -hmm. and you know bring in new and and there's nothing that say they can't bring these characters back or that they can't appear in other right shows or whatever and I'm sure like the actors and stuff like that they've been getting offers for other TV shows and movies and stuff like that mm -hmm. and they would like to move on right yeah so and well like um, Melissa Benoist and in, in Supergirl like she just had a baby so. You know she's got that whole thing going on and she's doing like broadway work now and so so yeah there's a you know she's got other stuff to do plus you've got superman and lois now so she could easily come back and guest star on that yeah, exactly that's what i'm saying you know it's not like she has to go away forever 
they mm -hmm. could, you know, she can always come back. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm pretty sure that in the course of the TV show, they'll be making references to her and everything like that. So you can presume that she's still having adventures out there. We're just not seeing them. That's all. Mm -hmm. And plus, you know, Berlanti is also doing the, the Green Lantern series for HBO Max, too. So there's plenty of DC content still coming out. Which brings me to, you know what, I, you know what, I'm starting to think that really maybe that's the way that DC is going, that they want to have all of their stuff on HBO Max. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense that they'd want to do that. I mean, HBO Max, you've got a, a bigger budget. You can do more niche things like than you could on like the CW. Plus, you're not restricted to the CW's format of, you know, network television where it's, you know, 22 episodes a season. Right. So it allow, allows you to be a little bit tighter with the storytelling. Exactly. That's so I'm wondering if they're um so I'm wondering if they're cutting back on like some of their shows. Mm -hmm. And like you said, because most of the new shows, I know that they're supposed to be doing a spinoff of Black Lightning called Painkiller. <clears throat> right. Yeah, yeah. That that's right. I, that was another thing they announced. Yeah, which kind of puzzles everybody that heard about it because they said, really? You're going to do mm. a spin-off with that character? You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, well, and um, this Wonder Girl, actually, is not even a Wonder Girl that's debuted in the comics yet. So this is a, a new character who's going to be um, coming out in uh, 2021 because DC is doing their Future State event. Okay. And so this is a new character. She's a, she's a Latinx character, and her real name is Yara Flor. And she's the daughter of an Amazonian warrior and a Brazilian river god. Ooh, okay. Um, so yeah, she's going to be debuting uh, in 2021, and then the Wonder Girl series is going to be coming. Is going to be um, there will probably be a, a trailer at next year's Comic Con at the earliest. Is what the mm. what this uh, I what the theory is. So we probably won't see this series until 2022 at the earliest. Okay, so th so this isn't going to be Donna Troy. This is going no, to be no, it's not Donna character. Troy. It's not uh, Cassie Sandsmark, who was the the Wonder Girl in, in the 90s. This is a this is a brand yeah. new character. Okay, well, I could go. You know what? That's the thing about Wonder Girl, though. It doesn't have to be Donna Troy. I mean, even Donna Troy isn't Wonder Girl anymore. Right. Plus, you're we yeah. got Donna Troy in Titans anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, also in uh, DC TV news, it looks like the the Batman spinoff is already because uh, remember they're talking about doing a an, I think it was an HBO Max series, forging on the focusing on the Gotham PD. Yeah, and uh, Terrence Winter, who is the the showrunner for it, and but according to Variety, he's no longer involved as the showrunner after creative differences behind the scenes, and he's now working on. A dial M for murder series instead. Oh, that uh, our old friend creative differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which <laughs> is basically shorthand for we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> but you know, it's it's always a good sign when a per when a person leaves the series before the series has even started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This is true because you know what I. Know what? Get out 
why you can before you know you get in there and then you start and then the arguments go because it's always reflected in the work I feel mm-hmm. I feel it's always reflected in the work because uh we've seen far too many TV series that we've enjoyed um get trashed because the showrunner wasn't getting along with his writing staff or vice versa mm-hmm. yeah and uh, see what else we got here. Um, apparently, there was a rumor floating around that the Peacemaker TV series was going to introduce a new Green Arrow, um, like you know the DCEU version of the Green Arrow. But it looks like James Gunn has completely shot that down. He's like, he's like, I love Green Arrow; he's one of my favorite characters, but he's not going to be in the series. And he even oh, shared okay. a story about how when he was a kid, him and his friends would play superheroes, and um, he stayed up late one night making himself a little Green Arrow hat. Oh. That's adorable. <laughs> and uh, see what else we got here. Um, Black Panther 2 is going to be starting production soon. Uh, they're going to begin yeah. filming in the middle of 2021. And um, the star of Narcos Mexico, uh, Tanakh Huerta, is, um, is rumored to be in the running to play a villain in the movie. Um, and we've already, they've already said that they have no plans to use uh, CGI to replace Chadwick Boseman at all in Black Panther 2. So, and he said, um, Marvel Studios Executive Vice President Victoria Alonzo, she said, there's only one Chadwick and he's not with us. Our king, unfortunately, has died in real life, not just in fiction. And we were taking a little time to see how we return to history and what we do to honor this chapter of what's happened to us that was so unexpected, so painful so terrible really yeah so, you know now you had a really controversial opinion about this on on facebook about what they should do i did well yeah because uh well at least i don't know if it was controversial when you posted it but it, it would be controversial to, to a lot of people which is you suggested that they just go ahead and recast uh, exactly exactly i just simply go ahead and and i don't know i mean I don't pretend to know what's in the what was in the mind of Chadwick Boseman. All I can go by is what I know the man from his interviews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I get the impression that he'd probably be the first one to go ahead and say, you know what, just give the role to somebody else. You know, I yeah, I don't think he ever I, intended this to be like he's the only one who can ever play the character. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's not like Okay, because you know how this usually happens. Usually somebody gets a big role like that. They get a swelled head. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they decide they want more money or they want more screen time or anything like that. And then they walk away from the role. Mm -hmm. You know, that didn't happen. This was a tragedy that nobody could have foreseen. I mean, and I I don't know. Some people swear up and down. They say, well, it would be disrespectful to cast. No, it wouldn't be disrespectful. We... Nobody knew the man was going to die. You know? Yeah. Nobody knew he was going to die. He was fighting it as much as he could. And I honestly believe that he thought that he, he was going to beat it, mm-hmm. you know, because he fought like hell and he was doing all that work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, you know, yeah, I know that the popular thing is, uh, oh, well, make his sister the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, you know what? I'm not opposed to that. But let's do that three or four movies down the road, you know, Mm -hmm. and then make her Black Panther, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, I know I read someplace they said that Mabaku 
the guy who played Mabaku, that they mm. were thinking about making him the new Black Panther. Well, that, that was actually something I said because that was um, oh, Mark okay. Bus. Yeah, you uh, Mark Buskett commented that um, you know bring back Killmonger and and see how he does. And I'm like, well, you know what? I don't want to see Killmonger brought back because nah, nah. I thought he had such a great death scene. And I'm not saying never bring him back, but I think if you're going to have Killmonger, you should have him in the ancestral plane because he was a Black Panther. So he would definitely. Right. So I would bring him back that way, but I wouldn't have him come back and suit up as Black Panther. Instead, yeah, I suggested, well, you know what? Give Mbaku a, a bigger role and have kind of like this situation where uh, you could do the situation where Shuri's conflicted about taking up the mantle and Mbaku comes in and takes it up instead. And him and Shuri already have some built-in conflict from the, the first movie because we saw that he had issues with her being... Um, being someone who scoffs at tradition and all that. Right. So that would be a, that would be an interesting take to put on it too. And it would give, you know, Winston Duke more to do as well in these movies. Now see, I actually feel that if you did bring back Killmonger uh-huh. and you made him the I do feel that that would be disrespectful. That would be not disrespectful to Chadwick Boseman, but disrespectful to the character of Killmonger because he was such a strong character. I feel that just like, you know, bringing him back, Mm -hmm. you know, to life would cheapen the impact his character made in that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Simply because because he was such a strong character. I mean, there, there have been few bad guys in superhero cinema history that had the impact that Killmonger did. Yeah, he had such a profound arc and such a well-established arc in that movie. It's it's hard to to do that to bring him back without you know tarnishing that in some way. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, he, to me, he was the best type of bad guy. I didn't like what he was doing, but mm-hmm. damn, you know, the cat had a point. <laughs> he made some. He made some good points. Yeah, he did. He had a point. You know, it wasn't like he was entirely wrong. Now the oh, way no. he went. Now the way he went about accomplishing his aims was highly questionable. That's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I saw his point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which to me is the mark of excellent writing. When you can make me see the bad guy's point of view and sit there and I'm sitting in my seat and say, "Well, you know what? Yeah, he's a horrendous murderer and everything like that, but." You know what? It's not like the guy does have justification for what he's doing. You know, he, he's he's got yeah. a motivation. So yeah, so I, I don't know. I just that's my opinion. You know, nobody's going to take it. You know, I I doubt that Marvel is sitting up there saying, "Well, let's go ask Derek Ferguson what." He <laughs> but uh, no, but I, yeah, I think they should just simply just go ahead and recast. Okay, you know. Um, all, Oh, uh, what's his name? Um, Denzel Washington's son. Oh, I yeah, from uh, he was in uh, Black Klansman, right? Yeah, 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 he was great. Yeah, and he was just in this recent movie with uh, what you call it, Nolan. Oh, Tenet, yeah, yeah, yeah Tenet, yeah, yeah, he'd be, he'd be a good choice. Yeah, I think he'd be good. Okay, um, so now also in MCU stuff, uh, Thor Love and Thunder is being loosely described as Avengers 5. So there's not really going to be an Avengers movie in phase four, at least as far as we know. But um, apparently, like, you know, Love and Thunder is going to have a pretty big cast. And, you know, we've already said that uh, Chris Pratt is going to be in it. You know, obviously, Chris Hemsworth is back. Tessa Thompson is going to be back as Valkyrie. Uh, uh, Taika Waititi is directing. He's also going to be playing Korg again. 
Natalie Portman's coming back as Jane Foster. Um, uh, Vin Diesel might be in it as Groot, um, but there could also be some other people in, involved. So yeah, it looks like Thor Love and Thunder is going to be kind of like the Captain America Civil War. Of okay. This, like where it's going to, it's going to feel like an Avengers movie, but it's not really going to be an Avengers movie. Um, do you think that we're going to see something of maybe like a transitional from uh, the previous phase to the new one? And that's why we have such a large cast. It could be. I mean, it makes sense because you've got, because Endgame was such a, a finale, right? It was such an end stamp on it that you need to have some kind of transition into what's going on further. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we said uh, in that episode, I forget which one it was, but I know we said it. We said, you know what? If they never made another MCU movie after mm -hmm. Endgame, I'd be cool with that. And mm -hmm. I think you agree. And I think you agree with me, you know? Yeah. Because that was just like the perfect in to everything yeah yeah i think you know. um it, it's it stands to reason that there's going to be kind of like a deck clearing of sorts that um love and thunder is going to do because it seems like my theory and this is what i would do right i would have okay. um hemsworth go off at the end of love and thunder with the guardians of the galaxy and you know go on adventures with them and kind of like explore the galaxy a little bit and then uh, Portman, uh, Jane Foster, stays on Earth with Mjolnir and becomes like the Thor of Earth. That's what I right. would do. I think that would be a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think that I think that the character of Thor in the MCU has earned whatever happiness he can find. And I mm -hmm. think that he'd probably be more comfortable going off into outer space. I mean, because listen, Captain America, he isn't there. Iron Man is dead. Mm -hmm. you know and he would say well you know what in order for this new generation of avengers to go ahead and do their thing i gotta go and let and actually yeah let them do their own thing yeah and, and it does whatever. because and also we got kind of a which i was a little bit disappointed in because we had teased kind of this new status quo with thor at the end of uh ragnarok you know with him being like you know king of the the nomadic asgardians and they're and he had the eye patch and everything and they're going to be flying through space and then the first five minutes of uh infinity war completely undoes all that yeah oh man but you know what i cut <clears throat> again and i've said this before out of all the characters in the mcu with the possible exception of tony stark who died mm -hmm. you know thor is the one who goes through the most trials and tribulations yeah. and changes the most out of any character that's mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, he really does go through uh, the Thor that we get at the end of the Infinity War is not the same Thor that we started out with. Oh, and, absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, even the Thor in Ragnarok is not the same Thor. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Same. Definitely. Yeah. That we end up with. So, uh, so then, um, looks like Margot Robbie's uh, Tank Girl. Um, do you ever read the Tank Girl comics? Uh, no, I. I have seen the movie. Oh, uh, the 95 the movie. movie, yeah. Yeah, I've seen the movie a couple of times. I, well, it's like a cult thing, you know, now. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, but no, I've never read the comic. But yeah, neither have I. I haven't seen the, the movie either. But uh, but Margot Robbie's going to be doing a, a, a reboot of it. And she's apparently like a huge fan of the, of the Tank Girl comics. And she says like the, she described it as like free and anarchistic 
from the art to the characters of the politics to the sort of fragmented nature of the stories that they're telling. So um, the project is something that's on hold right now, but they, you know, everything's been put on hold because of the coronavirus, but she's hopeful that they're gonna, they're going to get started again soon. Um, and then, uh, oh, well, you mentioned Chris Nolan. Uh, he made some comments about how, about the Dark Knight movies and <laughs> you're the one who brought this story to my, my attention. And I'm just like, we got to talk about this just because um, he said something, he said that he's thrilled that Dark Knight was made before the superhero boom. And he says that he, his Batman trilogy was before superhero movies became an engine of commerce. Um, and I'm just kind of like, you know what? Chris Nolan has gotten really in love with himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really has. He, you know, somebody really needs to take him and sit him down and, and explain the facts of life to him. Yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, come on, you're telling me that Warner Brothers may, gave you a Batman trilogy just out of artistic interest and they weren't interested in making a ton of money? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, first of all, okay, well, you know me. I have a very deep problem with people who make a ton of money from some property or from some genre and everything like that, and then turn right around and then they trash mm -hmm. that same genre or that same property that, you know, put a lot of coin in their pocket. Yeah. Uh, I do not deny the impact of the Nolan Batman movies on mm -hmm. uh, superhero or the old superhero movies that followed after it. I, my really only complaint with his version of Batman is that I feel that in trying to give us a realistic Batman that operates in the real world, he went too far and actually showed why Batman wouldn't work in the real world. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know a lot of people disagree with me, you know, the Nolan Batman movies are their favorite ones. Hey, you know, everybody's got their favorite thing. But uh, I just don't think that, I just think he went too far the other way. But uh, yeah, but this whole thing where, oh, uh, because, okay, because Christopher Nolan thinks that he's a god of cinema, first of all. Yeah. Let's be honest. So let's put it right on He thinks he's a god of cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, he went through this whole thing going back and forth with the studio because he put his foot down and he insisted that his movie was not going to be released to streaming. It was going to be put in the theater. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, COVID be damned. <laughs> you know, he he just didn't care. His yeah. movie was going to be in the theater. And he was convinced like that he would bring back, he would single, Christopher Nolan, God of Simina, would single-handedly resurrect the theaters. Which right, exactly. He, he, he thought that he was going to save the movie industry. Yeah. You know, because people would defy death to go see his movie. Yeah, and and reminded and remind me, how did Tenet do at the box office again? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it did what ninety three thousand dollars his first weekend or something yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> it did B horror movie numbers. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? Some this is not the not Christopher Nolan because I've enjoyed his movies. I uh, I still feel that Inception. Oh yeah, yeah. Is his best, you know. That's his best move. You know, I still feel that's his best one. I like. Know. I love Inception. Um, I love The Dark Knight. Um, 
you know, less or so, but I still enjoy Batman Begins and Memento and even Insomnia. A lot of people kind of forget about Insomnia, but I've rewatched yeah. that recently. And I, I actually like that movie. I thought that was pretty Yeah. Every, you know what? Everybody forgets about Insomnia. Insomnia is really good with Robin yeah. Williams and Al Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, I do like The Dark Knight. I do. <laughs> I like it a lot. I feel that out of all the three movies that he did, that's the, mo- that's the one that feels the most like a Batman movie to me. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, and then I saw, and after Dark Knight Rises and um, Interstellar, after those two, I'm just like, you know what, I'm kind of over Christopher Nolan now. Yeah, Interstellar was like, you know, I saw it and it was okay, but then I think he went for a cop-out ending that Mm -hmm. I would have expected from an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, (laughs) he seemed very intent on, you know, trying to, he likes to put things in his movies that, I think he was trying to do something and everyone's like, oh, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a bullshit ending. Yeah, it's a bullshit ending. And did you see the new story where actually other directors were calling him and, you know, talking about the sound of his movie and that mm-hmm. they couldn't hear it and trying to give him advice. And he basically told them, you know, to go somewhere and, you know, do what to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that he said, yeah, well, I don't mean for, he gave him some, some stupid auteur answer, like, you know, well, if they can't hear the movie, well, I don't want people to hear the dialogue. and They're not supposed to hear the dialogue. Really? It's so Seriously? Yeah. Dude? Oh, okay. Okay. You want to go there? All mm-hmm. right. Okay. I see. Yeah. Well, something else <laughs> he also said here is he said the origin story for Batman had never been addressed in film or fully in the comics. Now, well, I mean, I, 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 I've been reading. I've read a l- pretty fair number of Batman comics. I'm pretty sure there's the the origin story's been addressed numerous times. More than numerous times, yeah. So what is and, he talking about? I, and like you know, it's never been addressed in the film. Like, how many times have we talked about the the fact that every single movie reminds us about how Batman's parents died? Every single movie. I don't know. He says this version of the version of Batman w- had never been told. And I'm like, what? I don't, I'm like, does he even, it, it makes me wonder, I'm like, well, maybe that explains some of the, some of the choices you made if you didn't even read the damn comics. You know what somebody needs to do? Somebody needs to give Christopher Nolan, okay, know what they need to do? Just give him just a flat $1 million and say, okay, take that, go make a movie. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you're not getting another dime. You got to make a movie with this million bucks and that's mm. it, you know? that would force him to reevaluate his own filmmaking process, I think, which is what I think that he needs at this point. Yeah. He has to, you know, I mean, you know, stop giving him half a billion bucks, Mm -hmm. you know, to play with. All right. Um, So one other piece I wanted to mention is that uh, Deadpool 3 is now now in the works. It's officially in the works. Um, And this is going to be the first one since Disney bought out the you know, bought up Fox's assets. Um, and they've got uh, writers from um, the, the Molnir sisters. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm definitely not pronouncing that right. But uh, they're writers on uh, Bob's Burgers, the, the TV show, which I've never seen, but I hear it's really good. Um, um, yeah, you know what? Bob's Burgers had been on for the longest and I started watching it because... Uh, Okay, I started watching it when we subscribed to Hulu, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd never seen it before, but you know what? I watch a whole bunch of crap 
that I've never seen before just because it's there. Yeah. And before I knew it, I was like halfway through the first season. Mm-hmm. Bob's Burger really is fun. It, it is. It's really good. If you okay. get a chance to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm going to I'm gonna have to check it out. It took me completely by surprise. I did not expect to be laughing. Because you know me, I thought that it was just another one of those knockoffs of The Simpsons. Right. You know? yeah. But it's not. Trust mm-hmm. me, it's not. It's it, it's really, it's, it's funny as hell. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently um, they pitched to Ryan Reynolds, um, you know, personally, and, you know, and then and Reynolds vouched for them. And so now they're, they're writing Deadpool 3. And it is, you know, a lot of people were worried. They said, oh, well, if it's Disney, they're not going to do an R-rated movie, which first off is bullshit. Disney did a lot of R-rated movies under, um, has made tons of R-rated movies, right? Yeah. Uh, they just didn't put the Disney logo on it. No, well, um, back in the, what was it, the 80s and 90s, they had the Touchstone. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. also had uh, Miramax in the 90s as well. Yeah, Miramax, yeah. And Touchstone was for their, quote, unquote, adult you right. know r-rated well, yeah and they're doing you know they own a large stake in hulu and they're doing r-rated stuff on hulu as well yeah so yeah yeah exactly so disney has disney has done a bunch of r-rated uh yeah yeah i mean stuff before um disney Mass doesn't Act- really care about family values disney cares about money <laughs> tell me about it yeah <laughs> yeah that's all they care about mm-hmm. i mean you know and know what it Okay, and know what? Disney has so much of a backlog. They've got what, like fifty years worth of family-friendly stuff you can go watch. Oh my God, even more than that at this point. Yeah, even more than that. Yeah, I mean, I look at Disney and I look at all the stuff that's on. They have on that. So my, my wife the other day, she was watching uh, the cop because she had no idea that Kurt Russell had been around as long as he had, which I always told her. I said, yeah, Kurt Russell's been around forever. She was watching the movies he made when he was a child actor for Disney back in the 60s, for God's oh, sake. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not I did not know that either. I did not know he was a child actor. Yeah. Uh, he had, he did a Western when he was like 10, 11 years old. Oh, wow. Called The Travels of Jamie McFeeders. He worked with Elvis Presley. Oh, wow. Okay. He was in Viva Las Vegas. No, not huh. was it Viva Las Vegas? I don't know. What I have it, no I idea. don't know what it was, but, but okay. But look it up. But trust me, he worked with him. That Kurt Russell has never been anything but an actor. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why people, you know, I think that they tend to forget because most people only know him like from the okay. Most people only go back as far as Escape from New York, right? And no further. They say, okay, well, Kurt Russell, well, that's where his career started. At. No, Kurt Russell had 30 years, 20 years, you know, of experience at, before he did that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, but yeah, so Deadpool 3 is in the works. It is going to be rated R. They're not going to be altering the franchise too much from the tone that established in the first and the second movie. So, you know, people can calm down and relax. So I'm I'm really excited because I love the Deadpool movies. Yeah, we, uh, well, we covered uh, the first one. We covered pretty, the first one, yeah. And I'm pretty sure we're going to be doing the second at some yeah. point. We'll get to that eventually, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so one other thing, which actually leads in today's pick, is that New Mutants has dominated VOD since it came out last week. Like, it's just been a huge sleeper hit on VOD. Really? And, yeah. It's... Um, it's uh yeah it's 
it's topped the list on Vudu and Fandango now. It's become the number one best-selling uh, film on both of those two sites based on revenue. Um, okay. I, I've seen it uh, topping the charts on iTunes as well. So, so yeah, it's it's become a, it's become a pretty big hit up on streaming, which you know goes to show that maybe you shouldn't dis maybe you know these studios should not discount VOD releases. Well, you know. As I've been saying, and I've been having people, you know, and I go back and forth with this all the time, people saying, oh, well, I, I want to go to the movie theater. I want to go to the movie. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I love the movie theater experience, too. Right. I mean, I've been going to the movie theaters since I, I mean, since the 1970s. So mm. trust me, I love going to movies as much as anybody else. But for a sizable amount of the population, and you can't get around it. This is just a sign of where the technology and where the culture has gone. A lot of people would really rather just stay at home and watch a movie. They did, you know, they don't want to go to the theater. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, okay. First of all, they were saying, well, there's too many streaming services, and some of them are going to fall. Apparently not, mm -hmm. because they all seem to be thriving. Matter of fact, I read the story. The other day they said that uh, since the COVID thing uh, hit, you know, uh, Netflix has picked up something like 25 million new subscribers. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. You know, I think so. we will see, I think there will be a contraction of the streaming market because it is sort of getting into this situation where it it's looking like, it's becoming like, like cable all over again, right? Because you've got all yeah. these, because you got all these different services, and each one costs like you know seven to ten bucks a month, or sometimes more. Like, doesn't isn't HBO Max like fifteen bucks or something? Uh, well, actually, here's the thing. Uh, Why don't you guys get it for free? Right. Yeah, we get it through direct. You know, because we have Direct TV and we already subscribe to HBO. Right. So yeah, so they give us that for free. Yeah. HBO but uh, but yeah, it's like fifteen bucks uh, if you just buy it solo. And right. Yeah. So you're getting to this point soon where people are almost spending as much on these streaming services as they spend on cable TV. And the whole point of the cord cutting was that you'd be saving money on it. So I think True. there will be a contraction where there'll be, people will be scrapping a lot of these services. Um, they'll probably stick to the big ones like Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Disney Plus. I think those four are definitely the ones that will, will survive any sort of contractions in the market. But I think we are going to see this this situation where people are are canceling their subscriptions or suspend or pausing them and then resuming them when something they're waiting for comes out. Because you have a lot of people that, uh, because I noticed that you have Pluto TV and you have Tubi TV, mm. you have yeah. all of these other services that you still get the ads, but they're, you know, but they're streaming services that show movies and TV shows and stuff mm. like that. And uh, they, Peacock has a has a huge uh, free section, right? You yeah, can watch Peacock, it with, with yeah. ads. Yeah. So, I mean, you have these free streaming services that have really grown in popularity, I've noticed. Yeah, I mean, since the COVID hit. Mm. I mean, some of yeah. them, I, did, I, I didn't even know about uh, Pluto TV until somebody told me that they had a dedicated Doctor Who channel. Mm. They showed Doctor Who 24-7. I said, holy shit, I got to jump on this. And now... Um, since Sean Connery passed away, they have a James Bond movie channel. So now you can watch James Bond movies, or the, if you okay. don't mind the advertisement, which a lot of people don't. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, most of me, they piss me off. You know, mm -hmm. but you know, 
some people don't mind them. But uh, yeah, but I agree with you. I think that, I think that, of course, Netflix is here to stay. Yeah. Netflix is here to stay, especially I was reading a story yesterday where they were talking about that there's an excellent chance that most of the Oscar nominations are going to be Netflix movies. That would make sense. I mean, with everything that's, um, yeah. you know, all the stuff that yeah. they've come out with. Yeah. Yeah. Most of And they haven't even released their uh, really two big releases yet. They got uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which mm -hmm. is the last movie uh, Chadwick Boseman made. And they're already talking about a posthumous Oscar nomination oh. for that movie. And they've got the one coming out uh, in December, also with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. They've got Mank starring Gary Oldman as, uh, what's the guy's name? Tom Mankiewicz, the guy who wrote Citizen Kane. Oh, okay, okay. So there's Oscar buzz about it. So they're saying, yeah, they said most of the Oscar nominations are gonna come from Netflix. So mm -hmm. Netflix isn't going anywhere. Amazon Prime definitely isn't going anywhere. Yeah. I, I think that out of the most recent ones that have started up, HBO Max ain't going nowhere. Right, yeah. And okay, so yeah, so you're right, I forgot about Amazon Prime. So those are the big five. Like you got Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, HBO Max and Disney Plus. Those five aren't yeah, going anywhere. Right. They ain't going nowhere. Yeah. They ain't going nowhere. You know. Now, the other Everybody, ones I'm not so sure about. I think, you know, you're going to see like CBS All Access, Peacock, all these other ones. I think they're going to they're going to start striking deals and merging stuff and because they're not it's it's they're going to go the way of DC Universe where they just they just don't have the numbers to sustain it long term. Well, you know CBS All Access, they're going to change their name. Oh, really? Yeah, because they merged with uh, what did they merge with? They merged with Viacom. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're going. Yeah, so they're changing their name already. They haven't only been them. And really, what are they coasting on so far? They're coasting on Star Trek. Right. Yeah. Really, that's what they're selling. Basically, and okay. Well, okay. Well, you want Star Trek? You got to come to us. But here's the thing: like, if you have a VPN, like if you use a VPN service, you can mm -hmm. access like Netflix in countries outside the U.S. And because all access isn't in those countries. So they've got, you know, Voyager, maybe Picard as well. I know, Vo uh, not Voyager, what's it, what's it, Discovery. Discovery. That, one I, that one I know for sure. That's on Netflix in other countries. Right, yeah. So yeah, if you use a, v turn on your VPN, say you're, from, you're in Canada and all, you could watch Voyager with your Netflix subscription. Oh, not Voyager, okay. Discovery, whatever. Um, but yeah, so, and uh, anyway, the, so now we're talking about New Mutants. Now, this movie was cursed. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh Boone, who directed it, he also directed The Fault in Our Stars. He's apparently a huge comic book fan growing up, a huge, especially New Mutants. And so him and his childhood best friend, Nate Lee, uh, they, they put together a comic book with you know, using panels from Claremont and Sienkiewicz's New Mutants to kind of illustrate what a New Mutants film trilogy would look like. And they they took it to Simon Kinberg, who was producing the X-Men movies at the time, and and also with Laura Schuler Donner, Lauren Schuler Donner, and they loved it. And the idea was initially, it was going to expand the X-Men franchise universe, and it was going to take place three years after X-Men Apocalypse. Um, and, um, Boone also sent his ideas to Sienkiewicz and, you know, Bill Sienkiewicz, amazing artist who was, did some groundbreaking work with his work. Absolutely. On yeah. And, um, he sent some of the ideas to, to Sienkiewicz and Sienkiewicz said that Boone had it figured it out. 
and he wasn't just copying the comics. And they made a big attempt to make sure that this was like, just like Deadpool, just like Logan, it would be different from the, the core films, right? It would have this own unique original feel. It wouldn't just be copying what um, the Singer movies had, had been doing. And then um, it, it started pre-production in 2017. Um, uh, they got the cast, they, they started filming and, uh, and then they had an initial cut which apparently Fox was happy with at first. Um, but after the, the release of It, right, they wanted to, they, the studio wanted the, the trailer to focus on the, the horror elements and basically trying to sell it as a horror movie. Um, so they had been talking about changing some, uh, doing some reshoots and they, they kept, Fox kept delaying it and delaying it. And they eventually pushed it to after Dark Phoenix, um, and then because <laughs> apparently Fox was really scared because this came after Fantastic Four, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. So they were they were worried that um, they, with all these reshoots they were doing, just like Fantastic Four was doing, Fox was kind of worried that they would have. Um, uh, there was it was guaranteed it was going to be a flop um but then they and then disney eventually acquired it and then the covid hit and it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed um but then finally it came out right it came out in the theaters it did not too well in the theaters i don't think but um Yeah, it doesn't say anything about, oh, uh, here we go. It made 23.8 million in the US, um, which was, you know, it was pretty, it made 3.1 million on its opening day. So it, yeah, it finished second behind Tenet. Um, oh, okay. But, uh, and then, you know, they just kind of quietly dropped it on VOD last week. Like nobody was really expecting that. Which is probably what they should have done right from Jump Street. They should have just said, you know what, let's just go ahead and put it in. You know, because, um, okay, let me say this mm -hmm. to start off with. Okay, I see where they were going with the horror elements, and I think that, that that's the way they actually should have went. They should actually have played up the horror elements more in this, mm -hmm. I think. Because I can see where they were going with it, but you know when it really started to get like really dark and creepy, they uh, you can see where they pull back, right? But I think that they had something there mm -hmm. going for that horror type of element. Um, yeah, I, I think they should have pushed that that element a little bit more. One thing about okay, and I think this is what I want to get to. The X-Men movies put out by Fox. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. We, you and I could sit here all day long and go back and forth about the relative quality of each movie from here until, you know, Sadie Hawkins Day. But there's mm -hmm. one thing that I have to give them credit for. No matter how bad the movie was or how misguided the finished product that we got was, 
There's one thing I have to give them credit for. They were not afraid to experiment with the formula and try different things. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did here. And I appreciate that a lot that, yeah, they tried to give you something that was like a psychological horror edge to the superheroics mm -hmm. and make it look, you know, like a different animal from the other X-Men movies. And I, and you know what, I was watching it and I really did appreciate that a lot. Well, when you look at the, the X-Men movies, like the, the best ones have been the ones that have broken from that, the formula established by the original trilogy, right? When they right. try to stick to that formula afterwards, it, it didn't quite work. Like after X-Men 2, they, right, they tried to stick with the same formula with Last Stand. It was terrible. They tried to stick with that same formula with um, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine too. Didn't work at all. And then they put it on hold and then they came back with uh, First Class. And First Class, you know, played with the formula and it was good. You know, I mean, I got some issues with that movie, but in general, it was really successful. A lot of people loved it. Um, same thing with Days of Future Past, right? Days of Future Past kind of played with the formula a little bit because I never thought we would see a Days of Future Past movie. Right. And and we talked about that, you know, several episodes in, in another episode. So, you know, you can go back and listen to that. But, you know, nobody really... And then and then they, tr they experimented again with, um, you know, they did, uh, the Wolverine was kind of playing with the, the, the formula a little bit. They tried to, they kind of they kind of got, they kind of got cold feet in the third act and they made it much more of a conventional superhero movie in the third act. But up until that point, right, the whole idea of like Logan out in Japan, that was, that was something different. It was something new. It wasn't the same yeah. thing that we saw in the Wolverine, in uh, X-Men Origins. Right. And then, and then they did Deadpool. And Deadpool, you know, completely upended the formula. And and then they did um, Logan, too. Logan completely upended the formula. No country and, for old mutants. Right, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good <laughs> way of putting it. Um, but then with, they had Apocalypse, they had Dark Phoenix, those didn't play with the formula. And it was just trying to do the exact same gimmick thing that First Class and had done, which like, oh, well, let's make it a period piece, which by that point, the, the period piece made sense in First Class. It made sense in Days of Future Past. There was no reason that X-Men Apocalypse had to be set in the in the 80s. There was no reason that Dark Phoenix had to be set in the 90s, right? Those, right. It had nothing to do, and it didn't really, it didn't make sense because they nobody looked like they had aged like 20 years in those movies, so. It wasn't organic. It came off of just an arbitrary decision. They said, okay, well, you know what? First Class did so good, so let's just, and matter of fact, if, if they were to reboot X-Men right now, that's the way they should go. Like first movie, put it in the 1960s, mm -hmm. then do the next one in the 1970s, then the 80s, then the night, you know. do it I like would that. not do that because that's what they did here and it didn't work. And I felt like the 60s made sense, right? You had the, you had the Cuban Missile Crisis, you had the, the civil rights metaphor, plus the, the synergy of the X-Men comics themselves coming out in the 1960s. And, you know, you got Matthew Vaughn, who's very much got sensibilities that suit kind of like a 60s spy thriller. So it made sense in that case. But when they started, and again, Days of Future Past made sense as well, because you're, you're linking the two together. So that, that made sense to continue it from into the 70s and show what had happened in the 10 years since. But after that, I think they should have just jumped into the modern day. Mm. They shouldn't have kept trying to do the period pieces, because... At that point, it just became nonsensical, right? Nothing about apocalypse needs to be is, is connected to the, needs to be connected to the 1980s. Nothing about Dark Phoenix needs to be 
And it felt like they were just doing it just because that was the gimmick that they had established and they just wanted to stick with it. So, right. Yeah. Like I said, it was arbitrary. They said, right. okay, well, you know what? It would, you know what? Let's just keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, I joked at the time, like when they were announced, like Apocalypse was going to be set in the 80s. I'm like, what are they going to do? Is like, are they eventually going to get to like the fifth movie that's set in the early 2000s and there's going to be conspiracy theories that Magneto was responsible for 9 11? <laughs> Mm. which is something I'm sure they would have done. It <laughs> just, but yeah, they oh, just kept on. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. And, and it just, and honestly, the, you know, the, the Fox, the Disney bio to Fox is one of the best things that, you know, could have happened to the X-Men franchise, I think. Cause it, it just kind of put that out of its misery, which was, it was just continuing mm. to go into nonsensical territory. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, uh, you know, um, they should have just ended it with Logan. That was it, because that was the perfect ending. Yeah, they should have just. But they gotta go. They gotta chase the almighty dollar. They said, "Well, let's go to the well one more time." And yeah, said, yeah, you know, yeah. Let, let's keep milking this cow until she mm -hmm. can't give no more. Yeah. All right. Um, now the. So I now even with all that said, uh, I really I liked a lot of this movie. Like I know it's gotten some, you know, bad reviews online and stuff <clears> like that. But but I thought it was pretty good. I I like the the focus on the horror. I think the real strength of this movie is really in the the cast. Like I think they got a really good cast to play the play these characters. That chick and and I had seen her, and as a matter of fact, I, I'm kind of glad I saw her in uh, The Queen's Gambit before I saw her in this one because I appreciated her performance more and her range as an actress. Seeing her in this, the chick that played Ileana. Oh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Because when I first saw her, I said, my God, if she doesn't look like she stepped right off the comic book. Oh my God, yeah. If there is it, any perfect casting in this movie, it is definitely her. Yeah, and know something? This is how perfect it was. Even with my limited knowledge of the new mutants, when I saw her, I knew immediately who that was. I said, Oh, that's yeah. Alana. Yeah. That's Eliana. I said, okay, yeah. You know, that's her. Now the other ones I kind of like kind of once the guy with the baseball cap started talking, I said, okay, well, that's Sam. Yes, yeah. Charlie. You know, right. Robert DeCosta, um, he threw me off a bit because I'm used to him being dark skinned. Right, yeah, he's uh, Afro-Brazilian. In fact, he's Afro-Brazilian, yeah. yeah. Henry Zaga was cast. There was actually some controversy over that because um, he's Afro-Brazilian, uh, Bobby's Afro-Brazilian in the comics. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, when I saw her, yeah, there was no question who that was. And I said, yeah. oh my God. I said, I said, now, you know what? That's casting. <laughs> yeah. Maisie Williams, another one. Perfect casting for, for Rain Sinclair, for Wolfsbane, right? She, she looks like nervous. she's... Yeah. yeah. She was very good. I liked her a lot. Now, where the casting fell apart was when they got Alice Braga to play Cecilia Reyes, because you know Cecilia Reyes is you know uh, Puerto Rican, and so Alice Braga is definitely not Puerto Rican. And wait a minute, was she a good guy? Yeah, that too. Like they just Dr. Reyes, yeah, yeah. She was a member of the X Men. She um she came in. She was introduced in the '90s in the Operation Zero Tolerance crossover, and her whole thing was Xavier had come to her years before. And she had refused. And she said she didn't want to be involved in the mutant business. She just wanted to, she just wanted to be a doctor and, you know, and, you know, take care of people that way. Because her power was basically just like in this, 
she has a force field that surrounds herself. So it was like this very low key power that she could use and she wouldn't have to expose herself. So she just wanted to live a normal life. And then the Sentinels came after her and then she ended up getting sucked up into the mutant stuff. And eventually she became a, she became a doctor for the, for the X-Men and she, she's gone in and out of the comics here and there, but mostly just been, she hasn't really been an active member of the team since the nineties. Yeah, and I actually appreciated her character because she was a mutant because, okay, my understanding that her character was like, there was all these mutants that had no interest in putting on spandex and fighting Magneto. They just mm. wanted to live, you know, as normal a life, you know, as they could, which I thought was a pretty, you know, reasonable way to go with a lot of characters. You know what? Because I think, well, you know what? There's probably a lot of mutants out there that don't have powers that would be very useful in a fight anyway. Yeah. So, you know, why should they go risk their lives? You know, like I said, you know, fighting the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah. And my, yeah, that is, that she was a great character to, to put in that way. But you know what? I Because here's the thing. You know who they originally cast as Cecilia Reyes? Uh, who? Rosario Dawson, who would have been perfect. And I don't know why, but Alice Braga had somehow, Reyes got cut out and Braga got in. And we don't really, I don't think there's been any details revealed about why, but but yeah, I, I just don't understand why they would choose a character who is, or why they would even use Cecilia Reyes in this role anyway. Like it's just, it's so far of a departure from the character. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Cause I'm watching it and I'm saying, you know what? They could just very easily have made this an original character. Oh, definitely. Well, cause she basically was. But the only reason why they did this, I think because, okay, first of all, this is a movie that I think that really benefits if you're an X-Men fan or if you're a New Mutants fan and you know a lot of the history and backstory of these characters, mm -hmm. you know, I think it does because when you, when you, okay, when, okay, if you don't know who Dr. Reyes is, who really right from her first scene should be wearing a sign around her neck saying, you will eventually curse me for my sudden and inevitable betrayal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, if you don't know who she is, I mean, you know, from the comics, okay, it don't, it doesn't bug you. But if you do know her from the comics, okay, now you're lulled into a sense of security saying, oh yeah, well, she's one of the good guys. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I can trust her. And, and before we go further, I would just like to mention that I love seeing her pop up because she is the niece of uh, Sonia Braga. Okay. Who, if you don't know who she is, folks, look her up. She, let me just say that before there was a Salma Hayek, there was a Sonia Braga. And mm -hmm. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, Sonia Braga. Uh, oh yeah, I'm just looking her up now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, she was Salma Hayek before there was Salma Hayek, mm -hmm. you know. But, and also um, Alicia Braga, she is in a terrific uh, crime drama called Queen of the South. If you haven't seen it, my wife turned me on to it. It's excellent, so. Mm. She was also we'll in, uh, we'll she was also in City that. of God too, which is apparently yeah. an amazing movie. I've got that movie. I got to actually watch it sometime. I mean, she's a good, this movie is not what I would say 
okay, if you didn't know anything about her and you asked me to recommend one of her, I would not recommend this one. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and know what? That's not even because she turns in a bad acting job in this movie. It's just that I didn't like the way her character was presented. I didn't like the way her character was written. Oh, you same know. here. Yeah. I actually oh, yeah. she's gonna be in the Suicide Squad, apparently, too. Really? Yeah, she's gonna be playing Good. Soul Soria. Good for her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean she's a she's a great actress. Like I loved her in um uh Predators, I loved her in Repo Men. Um, but yeah, it's just like her her character, the way she's written, and you know, some of the story stuff here, they try to this is one of the this is one of the problems with the movie I had is that it this is one of the foxisms that comes in where they take a character name and just slap it on a completely different creation just because oh it's a name from the comics right yeah like they yeah. did this with um, even though it was a good movie William Stryker to some extent right he wasn't a, a military scientist in the comics he was a, he was a reverend and um, also mastermind his son Jason right they just oh well we got this character who makes illusions, let's make him Stryker's son and make him cast illusions on Professor X. They, they just take these names, they slap it on the characters just because they they can. And they just kind of rework all the characters to fix fit around that. They do the same thing with Cecilia Ray's in this movie. And uh, that was one of the, the annoying things. They did it too with um, Psylocke, strangely enough, in The Last Stand. She appears as a teleporter for the for the brotherhood and she just has like or callisto can suddenly track mutants right they just they just take the names just slap it on these characters yeah yeah well you make a good point where you say that they just figure well it's from the comic book so mm -hmm. you know as, as long as it's from the comic book they won't care yeah yeah so so that's one of the things that fox became kind of known for doing and that's that's one of the foxisms that creeps into this movie Another thing is like they keep trying to the fact that they keep trying to tease the fact that oh she's working for Professor X, right? They try to throw that in as a red herring. And like there's that scene where um where Bobby's in the in the wheelchair and he puts his his fingers to his head as if and to imitate Professor X. Like, oh, who do you think her her employer is? Okay. Now, you know what? And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm watching that scene. Where he goes and they talk, and you know they're talking about the X Men. They say, "Oh mm -hmm. yeah, well you know about the, you know who the X Men are, right? Yeah, sure, the X Men." And yeah, he does. He's in a wheelchair and mm -hmm. he does that thing where he touches his temple. I said, "Wait a minute." So therefore, he must know who Professor X is. He knows Professor X. Yeah, and he knows that he's a telepath. Yeah. How does he know that? So this is this is one of the problems with <laughs> with the Fox movies, right? That nobody knows what the continuity really is for these movies anymore because. Well, no, wait. Okay, so if this takes place after Apocalypse, then because in the beginning of Dark Phoenix, the X-Men were kind of like celebrity superheroes. And Professor right. X had like a direct line to the White House. So if we're following with the the first class continuity, then it does make sense that the Professor X would have been publicly known as the leader of the X-Men. That was, which was kind of what was established by the end of Apocalypse and the beginning of um, Dark Phoenix. So based on that, it, it does make a kind of sense. The, so, so Professor X would have told everybody he's a telepath. Oh yeah, sure. I can take over your minds anytime I feel like it. Well, yeah, that's what happened in um, 
that was in dark beginning of dark phoenix he was known as like the leader of the x-men he also did that in, in the comic books too uh, they he he out he became outed in the comic books as well as a mutant and like the the leader of the X Men that happened. Actually, was it his idea to do it? Um, he was possessed at the time by a supervillain and and in an effect to try and turn public perception against mutants, outed Professor X as a mutant. But then when Xavier got control over his body again, he realized, oh, I can actually use this to my advantage. Okay, now, okay, I get what you're saying. I'm not disputing it, but what I'm saying is that that gesture that he makes, where he puts the two fingers to his temple, mm -hmm. that that's an active thing that you know that lets us know the audience know that okay, Professor X is using his powers. Mm -hmm. How would Bobby know that Professor X does that? Because again, this is Professor X is a public figure and publicly known as a mutant after Dark Phoenix. The Dark Phoenix movie established that Professor X is a telepath. The public knew that Professor X is a telepath who leads the X-Men. Like he, they'd been doing it between Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. The X-Men. Uh, okay, I got that part. Right. But I'm saying, how does he know that Professor X makes that gesture? I don't. Know, I just assume it'd be pretty common knowledge that you know, just like you know that Cyclops touches his visor when he shoots his optic blast, right? They've probably seen footage of Xavier in battle situations or something where he's used his powers. Okay, at this point, I feel that you reach and to make your point, but I'm gonna let you have it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, but one, one of the, my whole thing with that is just that they keep trying to make it, they keep trying to play up the red herring with, the, with her constantly referring to my employers. And I'm yeah. just like, we know it's not Professor X. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know what? After the fourth or fifth time when she made a mysterious reference to her superiors, mm. I said it's not Professor X. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, they had a they had another hint. So it's the Essex Corporation is in charge, and so okay. Uh, that's what I meant to ask you, and I didn't want to cheat and look it up because I wanted to ask you, you know, while we were doing this. That's Mister Sinister, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Mr. Sinister's real name is uh, Nathaniel Essex, so the oh. Essex Corporation. And they had a reference to this too in, um, also in, I think it was I think it was either Dark Phoenix or Apocalypse, one of the two. They also had another reference to the Essex Corporation in those movies too. So if the Fox movies had continued, they were planning to try to set up Mr. Sinister at some point. Okay. Because that was something that had been teased over, that people had been wondering, you know, when are we going to see Sinister? Because we had seen, you know, We've gotten tons of Magneto. We <laughs> tried to get Apocalypse, and that was... And so they were going to try to... And then Sinister was the, the last of the big three X-Men villains. So that was the one they were trying to lead up into next, if the series had continued on. But um, there's also references to Logan in this, right? The footage that they watch of those, which made me wonder... You know when exactly is this film set, right? Because yeah, that, yeah, that was kind of weird that they were watching Logan. Mm -hmm. Well, not they're not they were watching Logan, but they were watching the footage that Logan saw of Laura. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it it seems like it's set at the same, which also is my guess is maybe this is set 
a few years before Logan. Like maybe a year or two, because the because in Logan, you know, Xavier had his 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 stroke or, or whatever it was that made his powers go haywire and kill the X-Men. Uh-huh. And I think in Logan they said that it had been two years since that had happened, if I'm remembering correctly. So I'm thinking my guess is this is probably set a little bit before that. Because that would explain how they can have the footage of of X-23 and the other mutant kids. Yeah, well, I, well, you know what? I would prefer to think that this happens before Logan, because as far well, as I think it does, I think it had, but I think it's not, it's not long before Logan. Like, I don't think this is a present day movie necessarily. Right. Yeah. Okay. I got. What, I get where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. It's it set mm -hmm. somewhere between the end of X Men: Days of Future Past when Wolverine wakes up in the new timeline and mm -hmm. Logan. It's set somewhere between there, I think. Oh, okay. At least that's kind of the feel I got, because that would explain why they can have that same footage. Um, and so, because if it had, if it's set after Logan, or even at this same time as Logan, then it doesn't make sense why they'd be talking about the X-Men, because the X-Men are dead by that point. Right, exactly, yeah. And they talk about the X-Men like they're still alive. Right, yeah. You know, because, and, and as a matter of fact, they are even talking about, because uh dr reyes is um she makes a suggestion that once they are finished whatever treatment it is that they're going to go through there that they're going to go to xavier's school and be right. x-men yeah yeah and um but yeah the so the sx corporation like it just became kind of obvious that they weren't going to be doing professor x and also there was another clue early on right so one of uh sinister's aliases it was uh doctor was nathan milbury he used in like the at one point in his life and if you remember at the at the beginning when we saw the outside when she uh when danny's first going into the hospital mm -hmm. it's like called the milbury clinic or something yeah so that was that was the, when i saw that i'm like oh okay it's sinister so they put those little uh hints in there um but yeah i just thought they just kept trying to if anything you know what, if you're going to try to do the red herring, just come right out and say, you know, have have Reyes lie and say that, yes, my, you know, I'm working for Professor X and then later reveal that it's actually the Essex Corporation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, why be coy about it? I mean, right. listen, you're lying to them already. Right. So why not just say, yeah, I'm working for Professor Oh, yeah. Meet him like this. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but. I mean, it's okay. not like they can go anywhere to check up on you. So. Well, this is what I'm saying. They got the force, you know, she's got the force field up. So, it, you know, they're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And which also explained why, because one of the things that had bothered me while I was watching this, although I did appreciate the creepiness of the situation that these kids found themselves in, mm -hmm. I did find it a little bit hard to take that none of them questioned why there was no other staff except for Dr. Reyes. Yeah. You know, they was in there. I mean, because it seemed like Bobby, the only thing they had him do was wash the dishes through the whole movie, really, man. Yeah. He, he was in the kitchen washing dishes, you know. So apparently he was cooking the meals and he was doing everything. You know, I don't know. I found it a, lot, a little bit. I said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to go with it. But, mm. you know, I mean, th there's nobody to clean the toilets. There's nobody to take out the garbage. You know, it's just her alone. And it just struck me kind of off that none of these kids, because they all 
seem to me to be very intelligent children, especially Bobby, who comes from Brazil and he's got a wealthy father. Mm -hmm. So he knows how these things work. Right. You know, it just seems to me they went along with the situation a little bit too. But, you know, that's just me. No, I agree with you. Yeah. This movie really suffers in the storytelling. Like the the cast is good. The characters are good. The um, the creepy elements are really well done. Yeah. Yeah. They, that's why I said earlier, I, I, I really wish that they had pushed the horror elements a little bit more because uh, the way this started, you know, once they get to the hospital, it reminded me a lot of the novels of a writer called Rod, is it Robert Cormier? Or Rod, he, he wrote, he wrote a bunch of young adult novels. Okay. Uh, was it The Bumblebee Flies Anyway, The Chocolate War? But they were young adult novels about- Oh, I read The Chocolate, I remember reading The Chocolate War, Robert Cormier, yeah. Okay, so you know where I'm going with this. He would yeah. write these novels that had these teenagers in these weird situations. Mm -hmm. And they would be in these institutions, like mental institutions. And there was an air of, they were slightly surrealistic because you would never know if this was stuff like these kids were imagining or was it really happening or, or what. And I got that same vibe from this movie when, you know, once we got to the hospital. Mm -hmm that it was one of his novels. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Robert Cormier, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It, it definitely does have that kind of feel to it. And it's, it's got, it also has a very Stephen King feel to it, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, like he had, he had described, it, it does, they do kind of feel like, you know, you got this kind of sense where, and maybe it's because, you know, I'd, I'd seen, um, I'd seen It Chapter Two recently, but, you know, it's got that very same kind of feel with the Losers Club from it. Yeah, exactly. I got that vibe from, you know, with this whole gang of misfit, mm. you know, they're on their little island of misfit toys, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the so the characters are great, the horror elements are really well done. But the story cohes the story doesn't really have it's not really a cohesive story. Like there's all these holes in the storytelling. And I'm not sure if that's due to reshoots or due to, to script changes, but whatever the case, it just like story-wise, the movie just kind of falls flat, I think. Well, I well, okay. I think that what they were that they were so determined not to make this your typical superhero movie. And it's mm. not. And that's why I recommend this movie, you know, because it's not your typical superhero movie. You know, right. you don't have costumes. You don't have the closest we come to a costume is when Ileana, when she has that arm, when she armors up her arm, and yeah, you know, yeah. she has. So yeah, that's the closest we get to it. And and uh, there is an attempt the uh, the Eldritch armor, right? There is an attempt at a little bit of psychological drama with them being haunted by these images from their past and they don't know if they're real or not or you know where they're coming from or how they're manifesting themselves mm -hmm. in the real world so yeah but i don't know like you said the story is they are going for that but they mm -hmm. couldn't quite get there yeah for whatever reason i don't know if it was in the direction or if it was in the writing or whatever but they couldn't quite get to where they wanted to go. I yeah, think. yeah. 
And um, you know, I just gotta say, the smiling men in per- the smiling men in particular, man, those guys were freaking creepy. Oh yeah. Oh, and uh, in fact, yeah. do you know who provided the voices? Uh, I'm gonna let you tell me. Marilyn Manson. Oh, that oh that whacked out singer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, yeah. He provided the voices for them, and um, they're physically portrayed by Dustin Seithammer. I'm not sure who that. Because is. you know what I thought. I thought because just before they appear, okay, the New Mutants—they're watching an episode of Buffy that's got the gentleman on there. Yeah, there's a lot of they have. There's also there's also another reference to Buffy too because they have another. Oh yeah. Earlier on, they had this where um, Rain is watching it, and it's a scene between uh, Willa and Tara, Willow and Tara, and you know that's that's kind of a hint that you know the relationship between her and Danny. Right, yeah. So so I was saying, wait a minute. There's an awful lot of Buffy shit that they're putting in here. And I was trying to figure out, okay, well, is somehow what they're watching on TV manifesting itself? Because it seems like that's all they watch is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't think so. I can understand where you'd come from that. But the whole thing, because she does, ex- I get the I get the sense that Ileana was uh, a victim of child trafficking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And, and so the smiling men is like the reference to like the customers who would come see her. And she's like, you know, they're always smiling. They don't care what they do, you know? And I think that was, you know, the kind of idea of like them just using her for their own gratification. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of like the way her child mind interpreted it at the time, because she said that she goes into herself and that's where she went into limbo. Right. So that was kind of an interesting way to do that. Like I'm not, it left me wondering is limbo a real place? Is it, you know, is it really like this hell dimension? So it made it left me asking questions about that. But yeah, yeah. Well, what, yeah, is this the actual place that she goes to, or is it someplace that's just in her mind? Well, something yeah. else too I loved is Lockheed. I love, love that they worked in Lockheed first as like this puppet she's always wearing on her hand. Yeah, you know what? That kind of confused me because I I only know Lockheed from when he was hanging out with Kitty Pryde. Well, yeah, he and he still does that. Like that's basically his thing. Is he's Kitty's pet, but right. Okay. You don't have Kitty in this movie, but her and Ileana were best friends, so it makes sense kind of to pass her over to Ileana. Oh, okay, yeah, because I was because I'm watching it and I'm saying, wait a minute, Lockheed, wait a minute, wasn't he with Kitty? And then I said, okay, well maybe they'll explain it going on down. But then, as you say. The continuity of these movies are so convoluted mm-hmm. that you know, yeah. See, I think that was kind of a nod to to her relationship to, to Kitty in the comics. Also, it it works as a nice way to it. It does make sense. Like she goes into limbo and she comes back, and Lockheed's a real dragon. Yeah, right? yeah, that was yeah. I like that. Oh, I like that too. I laughed when that happened. Oh yeah, that that was a great scene. I mean, just you know what. Basically everything with magic I loved in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she. I mean, listen. If if this movie has an MVP, is that chick? Definitely. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Because I mean, she steals every scene that she's in. Yeah. And I like the fact that she is. You know. Okay. You think that. You know, she's just being a nasty hussy. You mm-hmm. know, for no reason at all. But the longer the movie goes on. She's like an onion. The more layers we see. Yes. Yeah. Out of all the characters that's in here. I mean, like Sam is pretty much, 
you know, one dimensional. Although I did like, like kind of foreshadowing his uh, eventually becoming the leader of the new mutants when they're being attacked, you know, by those creepy guys and everything mm. like that. He takes charge. Yeah, yeah. And he starts giving orders, you know, and I like that. You know, Bobby is just like, okay, he's just a big, strong guy. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. I really liked, I really liked, uh, maybe it's just because I'm biased because Cannibal is one of my favorite New Mutants characters, but I really liked Charlie Heaton as, and what he did with the, with him in this movie. I, you know what? I, I remember years ago when I, and you might remember this when I was writing fan fiction and uh, I had to write Cannibal. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I couldn't get a handle on his character. And then I was writing a scene with him in Captain America. And I said, oh, wait a minute. That's who, Ca- that's who Cannibal is. Eventually he's going to be Captain America. Yeah, yeah. He's got those same qualities. Well, cause yeah, and, the, yeah. Cannibal has been, he's been trained by the big three mutant leaders, right? He was trained by Professor X. He was trained by Magneto. He was trained by Cable. Yeah. So yeah, and that's that's something that they were really leaning towards back in the, it's kind of fallen apart now, but for a while there, they were building up Cannonball in like the 90s to eventually become like Mr. X-Man. Yeah. Like he was yeah. the next generation of Cyclops. Exactly, exactly. Because that's how I always characterize Cyclops. Cyclops mm. is, Cyclops is, you know, if you, okay, for the mutant community, he's their Captain America. Yeah. And I saw Cannonball as eventually stepping into that role. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I I liked maybe it's just I'm biased because because I love Cannonball, but I did see those kind of hints in Heaton's performance. So I did like what he had done, um, and also the fact that he's the way he trains himself, right? Like he's in the beginning of the movie, like that also kind of fit <laughs> with that kind of fit with with my perception of Cannonball, right? He's some, he's trying to he's trying to better himself. That kind of cracked me up because the girls are watching. She said, "What the hell is he doing?" He said, I don't know. He, he he does this shit from time to time. I think he's trying to kill himself. <laughs> he's going around in all these crazy circles. I say, "Yeah, but yeah, but you can see out of all of them, he's the only one that's trying to understand his powers, right? Yeah, and how it works and how he can control it. You don't see any of the other characters in this movie. Well, Ileana. Well, well, Ileana seems to already have her st- her shit down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. She's got her shit together one hundred percent. She don't need no training. She's got you know. But it is interesting that out of the other ones that we see, Sam is the only one that we see. Mm-hmm. You know, try. I mean, uh, Sunspot. He only uses his power when he's forced into it. I really love the scene where he busts in the flames and he's in the pool, mm-hmm. and Doctor Reyes runs in there. And she takes a long pole and she shoves him in the pool and there's a cloud of steam and all the water is gone. Yeah, that was a really good scene too. <laughs> we see him in there, oh shit. You know, that's how hot he is. Yeah, he, yeah. He just like instantly evaporated all the water in the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I thought Rain was really well done too. Maisie Williams, I thought, did a really good job. And they did, a, and I think, because also Josh Boone, he had a, a really strict religious upbringing. He had really strict evangelical parents. So mm. he had really identified with uh, Rain's character. And it really kind of shows. Yeah, I was kind of, because I wasn't sure at first. Who, I said, well, is this chick a werewolf or what? You know, because she changed completely into a wolf at one time. Yeah. I believe. 
So I wasn't like, and like I said, I'm not that familiar with, you know, the new mutants. Anytime I, anytime I ran across them in a comic book, it probably mm -hmm. was because they were in an X-Men right. comic book. So I, you know, I did not know exactly how her powers worked. Yeah, initially she did have powers just like this. Like she initially changed fully into a wolf, just like a regular wolf. Then okay. over time, um, you know, she got her, her genes messed with and by the, in Genosha and she had kind of had to stay in like this transitional state between human and wolf. And that's kind of come to define like her regular form more or less. And she's become more like, a, like it used to be that she turned into more of a, actual wolf like she had just transformed into a wolf and then right. over time it became more of like a wolf man situation where she becomes like this wolf human hybrid but in the original but yeah originally it was just like it's it's portrayed here oh okay because i'm saying well, what that's weird man what's the deal with this chick is she a wolf is she a werewolf if is she uh because when she attacks the doctor she's like half half human yeah. half wolf yeah you know but then later she changes completely into wolf form. Yeah. And then I think there's one scene where she's trying to hear because she can hear Danny calling for help. Mm -hmm. And she just like, like partially changes. So we see the wolf ears so yeah. she can hear better. Well, that was something else too that came from the, the comics as well. Because when in the comics, there was a, there was a telepathic bond between Danny and Rain when Rain was in her wolf form. So that was kind of another tie to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the the idea of the love story was also kind of a natural extension of that. Because they weren't they weren't together in the comics. Both of them are straight in the comic books. They did have um they actually did have a, a lesbian member of the New Mutants, and that was uh Karma, who was um uh Vietnamese descent. But here's okay, but here's the thing. Okay, and see, this is going to get me into trouble. I know, folks, this is going to get me into trouble. But, okay, I didn't, okay, they kiss, mm -hmm. but it didn't strike me as being like, okay, here's where I get in trouble. It didn't strike me as being a lesbian kiss, if you know okay. what I mean. It's just that the two of them find themselves in this incredibly weird situation and they bonded very quickly in a short amount of time. And they just want to show each other how much they appreciate how fast they've grown to lean on each other. If that makes any sense. I, I can see that. I think maybe with Reigns on Reigns side of it, but I get uh -huh. the feeling that um, Danny already knows that she's attracted to women, right? Because there's that scene when, um, Maisie says, uh, not Maisie, uh, Rain says, like, you know, I've never done this before. And Danny says, what, with a girl? Right. And that kind of, there's something in the way she said that and how confident she was saying that, that it kind of implied that she knows this about herself already. Right. She may have experimented right. already. But the other girl, she says flat out, well, I never did this with anybody. Yeah. 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 So I so, got this. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It could be that it's just that situation, the fact that they're, they're really the only two that they've developed any sort of bond with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't, 
it just didn't strike me as this was like lust or love or anything like that. It's just that, okay, we're together. And, and yeah, it was a nice, you know, they're looking at the rain on, mm. you know, the force field and anything like that. And if the time is right, and if, if the mood is right, anything can happen. Right. You know, I mean, I don't know if, if they have went to a sequel if they had pursued that relationship between them, but I will say they do make a cute couple. Yeah, I think they it would have. They do. They make they a very do. nice yeah. couple. I think it would have uh, because that seemed to be something that Boone and um, Maisie Williams both felt was really key. Is that is that love story between them? So I think if we had gotten a sequel to this, there would have been further development of that. And I did like how in the last shot when they're all walking out of the uh, uh you know, they're walking past the gates mm -hmm. to go out because they're going to walk to the town. They're holding hands. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I thought that was, I thought that mm. was kind of sweet. Yeah. Um, okay, so apparently there was originally going to be um, a post credit scene with John Hamm as Mr. Sinister. Oh, okay. And, um, but then Apocalypse failed. They, they decided not to do that. But they were going to have another post-credit scene with um, Antonio Banderas as Sunspot's father. Oh, okay. And um, but and uh, Kinberg later denied this, and apparently uh, Sinister was supposed to be in the canceled Gambit film. So, so there's a lot of stuff that was kind of like planned to be set up in here that didn't quite work out. <laughs> But um, I don't know. Overall, um, I thought it was a it was a good movie. It had some, like we talked about, it had it had the story problems, but but the the young cast is really good, and I would not be opposed to seeing, at the very least, Anya Taylor Joy come back if they if, when they introduce the the mutants into the MCU. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They, I mean, they should move heaven and earth to try to get her to come back. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I have to admit that I was pleasantly surprised. And I saw this movie today mm -hmm. because, you know, usually I could have watched it any other time this week. But you know what? I did something a little bit different today because I started watching this at like about like four o'clock. Yeah. Because usually what I do is that I watch the movies that we talk about like a day or two in advance. But given that this movie, it has such controversy around it and, you know, all of the backstory that went along with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to give this movie time to marinate in my brain where I could intellectualize mm -hmm. it. You know, I just wanted to go on my gut feeling. That's why I wanted to watch it. So when I talked about it, everything was still fresh. Yeah. yeah. So that, so that it would be a gut reaction and not me having a day or two to, you know, think about, well, they should have did this and they should have did that. And I'm rewriting this in my head and, you know, all that other BS that nobody cares about. I just wanted to present a gut reaction of this movie. So that's why I waited till today to watch it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and my gut reaction is that given everything that I've heard about it, this is nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, definitely I'm going to be honest. I was expecting a complete shit show. Yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised that it was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, this is definitely um, of the. Well, now we could actually we could actually do this. Like, if, if I was to rank the X Men movies, I would definitely I would definitely put this above some of the other. Like, it's not 
you know what the thing about the weird thing about the X-Men movies is the spin-offs are tend to be better than the actual X the core movies. You know what? That's an excellent observation. And I agree with you because I know that uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, I think I've enjoyed the spin like I've enjoyed, you know, the Wolverine movies, mm-hmm. Logan, this one. Deadpool to some extent, <laughs> not too much, but but again, as I said at the top of this, you know, we started talking about this. The one thing that I appreciate about Fox is that they were not scared to do different things. I mean, you know, with these movies, it wasn't mm-hmm. just like the same type of movie they were cranking out over and over and over again. Even with the ones that failed, you know, they said, okay, well, let's mix up the formula and do something different, and that's what they did with this one. Yeah, you know, they definitely mixed it up. It it definitely is a different different movie. The only thing that I think that would make this movie better, like I said before, is if that they had amped up, you know, the horror elements a little bit right. more. Because I can yeah. see where they were going with that, but I don't think they just went far enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I I kind of agree with that. And my my issues are mostly with the the story elements, but but overall, you know, entertaining enough movie and. It's not like the, a lot, this is another thing. I think this movie has been unfairly slapped as like the conclusion of Fox's X-Men universe, but it was never intended to be that. So I feel like people who are judging it because it's not a fitting conclusion to the X-Men universe are kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're expecting the movie to be something it was never intended to be. And then also we have to remember that this movie was delayed like what? two or three times, yeah. it kept being pushed back and everything like that. Yeah, so you're right, it never was intended to be, matter of fact, I remember reading someplace that it was intended as being a trilogy. Right, yeah. You know, so, uh, but yeah. The real, I mean, I, the real end of Fox's X-Men universe is really Logan. Like that's actually- really Logan, yeah. right, yeah. Like this I mean, one, I'm, I think of this movie as this movie, it was just released at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. And I definitely would put it above Dark Phoenix or Apocalypse. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Or The Last Stand. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely put it put it above all, you know. Yeah, go watch this before you watch it. Especially Dark Phoenix. Oh, oh. my God, that movie. We'll get to that eventually. <laughs> Apocalypse. Oh, my God, Apocalypse. That was another one, yeah. I don't know what they No, let's do. not. Listen, listen. We can only do Apocalypse if... You can let me drink during the episode. <laughs> you say it's okay because Apocalypse. I watch that thing. Hey, you know what? Apocalypse is the type of movie because you know I'm not. You know I'm not really into. But I felt bad for fans of X Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I really felt bad for fans of X Men to get about that movie was an insult. It was. It was as as one of those X Men fans. I I can definitely vouch for that. Yeah, that was an insult. Yeah. That was the, they. You guys would have been better off not having any movie at all than having that one. Oh, same thing. Same thing with Dark Phoenix too. Yeah, Dark. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'd have been better off having no movie at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Such a such a monumental. And you know what? That's what really bothers me: the waste of time and talent. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you got Oscar Isaac's right. Yeah, it would have been an amazing choice for for Apocalypse, but you know. It, 
I don't know. We better stop talking about it now because I'll go on a rant yeah, for another yeah, two yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's stop talking about it. All right. So now let's move we'll on. We'll get to it eventually. We'll, we'll get, get to it eventually. It. <laughs> we'll get to it eventually. And, you know, it, it's morning here for me when we do this show, but I'll, I'll be drinking when we do that one too. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, that means let's talk about something more pleasant now, which is our next pick because we've already decided, well, the fans have decided that they want us to do Avengers for our big 50th episode live commentary. So, right. So we got one more movie to go before then, because this is episode 48. We still got to do 49. So I thought best thing to do is let's look at Iron Man, because that's the only one of the pre-Avengers origin movies that we haven't seen yet. And as you so accurately point, pointed out, uh, it would be only fitting that when we do Avengers to go back to where it all started. Yes. You know, with the MCU and, you know, do the big daddy that kicked it all off, which yes. is, of course, Iron Man. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, come back next week. We'll talk about Iron Man and the, the start of the MCU. And um, till then, head on over to Facebook.com. Superhero Cinephiles is the name of our group you know, go in there, join up, um, join in any discussions we got up on there, Derek posts reviews and, you know, occasional polls and whatnot, um, making you choose between two movies or two characters or, or whatever the case may be. I just do my part to keep y'all guys entertained. Yeah. <laughs> also, we're on Instagram and Twitter, Super Cinema Pod for both of those. And um, yeah, that does it for us. And we'll be back next week to talk about Iron Man. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, or if you have a superhero movie or TV show you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at superherocinephiles at gmail.com, or you can also visit us on the web at superherocinephiles.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Each review helps us reach more potential listeners. You can also support the show by renting or purchasing the movies discussed or by picking up our books, all of which can be accessed through the website, as well as find links to our social media presences. The theme music for this show is a shortened version of Superhero Showdown, a royalty-free piece of music courtesy of Fezleonstudios.com. 